My name is Brad, and I'm the lead pastor here at Hillside Church, and I want to thank you for listening to one of our messages from Hillside Church. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking today. So if it's me speaking or if it's someone else, we pray that the message you are about to hear would allow you to know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power. Enjoy the message. This week, we are beginning a new sermon series looking at the book of Ezra. Um, that's, that's where we're going to spend the next five weeks, is, is discovering what this, this book has to say to us. But why Ezra? What even is Ezra? It, it's, not, it's not a book that, that typically we as, we as, as Christians or, or followers potentially, probably go to a lot. Um, it, it, it's a book that, that you would almost look at maybe like the sister book or maybe the little brother book to the book of Nehemiah. Um, as, as they do tell the same story, they, they recount the same story of, of what's taking place. But the reason why I want to look at the book of Ezra in depth for the next few weeks is because I believe that Ezra is a prophetic picture of what God is doing, or what God is doing and what is God is going to do in our church. But more than that, I believe it's what God wants to do in our lives. See, Ezra is the story of rebuilding. It's the story of what it looks like when God rebuilds his people after they've lost everything. It's the story of God bringing his people back after tragedy. It's the story of what it looks like when, for God to enter into a story that appears to have already been told and bring redemption to something that seemed long since lost. The historical context for this book is that the people of Judah, they've been in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. Um, the, Babylon, or the Babylonians were the world power. They were the, the might, the strongest army. They were, they were the world power, and they, they unceremoniously dragged out of Jerusalem all of the people of Judah, and, and, and they forcibly relocated them to Babylon. And Jerusalem was destroyed. And the people were, were scattered, they were removed, they were taken from their home and, and forced to live in exile, forced to live as captives. But now, what God had promised had now taken place. What we discover is as we look in scripture that the time of God had been fulfilled and it was time for the Lord to fulfill a promise he had made. And God is going to bring his people home and rebuild them again. And he's going to, to perform this amazing miracle of bringing his people back from captivity. And we'll, we'll discover in a second, this is a promise that God made. And I think the prophetic picture that God has and that God wants to show us over these next five weeks is what he does for his people then, he wants to do for his people for us today. That we've been through an incredible period of time like nothing we've ever been through before. And like Judah at the beginning of this story, we're still there. The, the, the story of Ezra is not what happened. It's the story of what's happening. And this is the same picture for us that, that we as faith, in faith, believe that the story that God has told hasn't happened. But that the story that God tells is happening that we are living in the middle of God at work. 
But God leads his people out of this experience and he rebuilds them. He reclaims them. He reclaims what was lost. And this picture is what I believe that God has for us today. That God has for you today to hear about you and your life. And to hear about us and our lives today. God is going to rebuild us. God is going to reclaim us. God is going to reestablish you. Despite what you think you've lost, despite what you may think is gone forever, despite what you may think will never be the same again. May we allow this time spent in the book of Ezra to encourage and fill you with hope for what God is still going to do. But even in these 70 years, as we talk about how the Babylonians brought the people into exile 70 years ago, so much has changed inside the world of, of, of these people that are in, in captivity. See, it was the Babylonians who were the world power when they took Judah captive, but that wasn't the case anymore. They, they were brought out of captivity or into captivity by the Babylonians, but then the Babylonians were destroyed and defeated. It was no longer the Babylonians that ruled the world and kept the people captive. They'd been replaced by the Persians as the new world superpower. And so they had been passed from one captivity to another. But 70 years had come and gone since Judah was taken captive. And that number's significant because this is exactly what God said he was going to do. God said he would, he would do something. The events of, of the book of Ezra are a fulfillment of the Lord's word written in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29.10 um, says this. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. God said 70 years is what this is going to look like. Now, God had said these words at a low point in Judah's history. His people were being carted off to Babylon and into exile. Now, against all apparent odds, that promise to take his people out of exile and back home to Jerusalem after 70 years is going to be fulfilled. So accurate is God's word and God's prophecy about this that through another prophet, Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 44, centuries, like long before this took place, the Lord said that this return would come about through a man named Cyrus. This is years before Cyrus even existed. And now this is precisely what happened. Now something we need to acknowledge here, because I think it's important for us to understand the context of all of this, is 70 years is a long time. No matter how you live it. No matter what context we put our lives into, 70 years of it is a very long, long time. And it's especially a long time to be lived in exile, in captivity. See, generations of the people of Judah had been born while in captivity. That they, they, they weren't the generations brought out of cap or brought into captivity. They were just born into captivity. Most of the people who went into captivity probably would not have lived long enough to see the return. And there would have been some who were born, lived, and died all while in captivity. 
that 70 years is a long time, and it's a long enough time that a lot of life and a lot of life in a lot of different ways had been lived during this time. The people watched the Babylonian Empire be toppled, potentially filled with hope. This is it. God is going, the, 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 the Babylonians have been defeated. Only for, for that not to matter, still in captivity. But God had not forgotten them. God had not moved on. How easy would it have been for the people's hearts and lives to turn away from God and their faith in him? It had been so long. It had been so awful. Even though they may have remembered the words of Jeremiah or not. But 70 years is a long time, man. A long time to sit and hope and wait. A lot of doubt can creep in in 70 years. A lot of question about even if they knew what Jeremiah said. There's a whole long time to be able to figure out why we shouldn't believe Jeremiah anymore. 70 years is a long time to sit and wait and wonder if God's going to do anything. But God had done nothing. During this 70 years, God had done nothing to help, nothing to make things right, nothing to ease things. God had done nothing. But something was coming. Need a new clicker. Something was coming. And this is the first thing that I want to encourage you with your life journey today. God's promise to you today, to us today, into your situation, into what you're facing, into your life today, is that something is coming. That thing that you think maybe God had forgotten about, that thing that you believed that God had promised you, that word from the Lord that you had received that you don't know what to do with because it's been so long, Something is coming. It may seem like God has forgotten. I mean, how could it not? It's been forever. Maybe it's been decades. Maybe it's been 70 years. And maybe like for the people, so much time has passed and so much life has been lived and so many things have changed and gone on in your life and the world around you that, that the situation you thought you were dealing with, it doesn't even look like that anymore. Surely God has forgotten about you. Surely God has forgotten about his promise. But may just the mere existence of the book of Ezra be a palpable reminder to you of God's faithfulness to his word. The fulfillment of prophecy is such an encouragement for us who to, as well are waiting on the Lord. Just like for the people of Judah in captivity to their second captor. Something is coming. God hasn't forgotten you. God hasn't forgotten his word. God hasn't forgotten his promise. Something is coming. God is coming. But the really amazing part of the book of Ezra, like this is, we could stop here and that's enough. 
But the really amazing part of the book of Ezra isn't just simply that God has decided it's time to fulfill his promise. It wasn't just that God decided now is the time to bring the people home. But it really lies in how God is going to fulfill his promise. See, something was coming. God was coming. But God was going to show himself in a, only a way that God can show himself. That the story of what we're about to read to take place in the book of Ezra, it's not the, just the miracle of the captives being set free. But it's how they're set free. Let's read the first few verses of Ezra together. Verse 1 says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, said. Now listen to this because this is incredible. This is God. This is only God. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Who said that? But, but Cyrus... The king of Persia has heard the voice of the Lord speaking to him. Cyrus, who is the king of the most powerful empire in the world, God spoke to him and told him, you need to rebuild my temple in Jerusalem. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord. Captives are now free. The God of Israel, the God who is in them, or God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. One more thing. And in any locality where there are, or where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with a free will offering for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Now, if you didn't catch exactly what's happening here, God moves in the heart of Cyrus, the unbelieving leader of the Persian, or Persian superpower, to where Cyrus believes and knows that God has spoken to him and called him to see the temple in Jerusalem be rebuilt. And this is such a powerful work of God that Cyrus doesn't only just permit or allow the captives to return home to, to start and rebuild, which would be quite a remarkable miracle in and of itself, but it doesn't end there. God takes it one step further and that he leads Cyrus to command the people of his realm. His realm is the known world. And he commands the people of the known world to give towards the rebuilding of the temple. He doesn't just set them free and say, go figure it out. He commands the entire world to rebuild God's temple. 
to give them money and livestock and everything that they would need to go restart their lives and rebuild the temple. It's not just that he permits this idea of, okay, God's laid it on my heart to let these people just return home. But he's issued a decree that anyone who lives in an area where currently the people of Judah are residing, don't just let them go, but fund the rebuilding. Give them silver and gold and livestock. And then even more, take a free will offering. Give from what you have. Look inside your wallet. Look inside your bank account and see what you could give to help them rebuild. When the temple was built first by King Solomon, it was a most glorious structure. And I think sometimes when we read scripture and we don't really know what it means because it'll talk about like they had this many cubits or all of these kind of things that unless we really do some research, we don't really know what that means. But it was one of the most amazing elaborate structures that mankind had ever built. Some estimates have the value around $144 billion in today's Days dollars that, that it was one of the most elaborate, most fanciful, amazing structures that humanity had ever built. But at the time of Ezra, the temple looked like a bomb site. After being destroyed by the Babylonians and the years of neglect that followed, it laid in ruins. This, this thing that could have been a wonder of the world was now no longer that. It had been destroyed, it had been pillaged, and it had sat there for 70 years like that. And this really mattered. Because it, was a monu it wasn't just a monument to be preserved for historical and architectural reasons, but because of its theological significance. We talked about this last week. The temple was the only place where people could go to meet with God. The temple was, was God's home. That this was, uh, when David had the, the, the leading to build this, he said, I've got a home and God lives in a tent. Let me build a home for the Lord. And so they built this, he, his son, builds this amazing temple for God. And just being sent home to rebuild this amazing structure would have been something that would have turned from joy an ecstasy for this amazing opportunity, this amazing thing, this incredible work that God has done, ultimately to frustration and sadness. Because they were not equipped to do the job that God had given them. They were not going to be able to approach what came before. I don't know if you know this or not, but captives don't get to contribute a lot to their 401k. That They're not saving up to be able to return home to build the temple. It wasn't like, well, let's go home and we'll take a free will offering and see what we can do. They didn't leave, they wouldn't have left with much stuff. So it wasn't just that God needed to have the people released to do their work. They needed to actually do the rebuilding. But they couldn't do that on their own. The only way this was going, to was, going to able to was going to be able to happen was through supernatural intervention. It was going to take a miracle. It's the kind of miracle, it's the kind of moment, it's the kind of thing that only God can do. 
See, Cyrus didn't owe the people anything. It wasn't like he was motivated for political reasons or by what was right to do this. He didn't need to do this at all. But God knew the promise he made. And he knew the time frame that God had decided on was coming. And he knew that in order for all that God had promised to be done, provision would need to be made. And they weren't going to provide for themselves. They couldn't provide for themselves. God would need to provide. And so God does what only God can do. And he speaks to a pagan king. The most powerful person in the world. He tells them, release my people and refund the build or rebuild or fund the rebuilding of, of my temple. And this, friends, is what it looks like when God is coming. When God shows up. When God promises to do something, the promises of God may seem impossible. They may seem impossible only to us, or they may actually seem impossible. But when God shows up, nothing is impossible. See, every year that went past, the opportunity for this promise to be fulfilled became less and less likely. The ruins of the temple only continued to be exposed and to deteriorate. Like I said, when you're, when you're a captive, you're not exactly accumulating a nice, healthy retirement nest egg that you could give towards the funding of the temple. And they were only becoming more and more entrenched in the situation they found themselves in. They were only becoming more and more living the life in captivity. They were only more and more getting further and further away from the ability to rebuild the temple. The people who had even saw the temple with their own two eyes would be becoming less and less and less as time goes by and the people are going to, who are, would be going back now to rebuild the temple they've never even seen it because all those who saw it they're dying it's been 70 years 70 years from now not a lot of us are still going to be here and so our ability to talk about what church looked like 70 years ago in 70 years and we're not captives the ability for the temple to be rebuilt, for Jerusalem to be rebuilt, every step along the way was making it harder and further. But suddenly it was no longer about the people and what they could do or couldn't do. What they were equipped for or what they weren't equipped for. Because God wasn't just limited to what the returning captives could or couldn't do what the returning captives had or didn't have. God just looked at the most powerful, richest empire in the world, and he said to the king of that empire, my people cannot fund this rebuilding on their own. You do it. And when God speaks, even the most powerful kings in the world have no choice but to listen. So the second thing that I want you to know about your life right now and where you might find yourself is to encourage you, don't worry if it looks impossible. Don't worry if you cannot understand how it's going to come. Don't worry if you cannot see a way forward. Maybe like the Israelites, it's been far too long for this thing to be real. Maybe 
for like the Israelites, even if God did make a way, there was no way you are actually going to be able to do it. That I, I might, okay, even if God opens the door, I can't do that. Maybe as you look at your life and what you need God to do in it, it just doesn't add up. Okay, God, you've made a way for us to finally return home. But it turns out that slave labor isn't exactly a quick way to make a buck. Never mind what would be needed to restore a $144 billion temple. But God says, don't worry about it. I'll have Cyrus pay for it. It'll be fine. I'll have the government pay for it. We have some, we have some very committed people in our church to praying for our government. And when I was doing my readings in Ezra, reading for this message, I, I sent them an encouragement. This is an encouragement to keep praying. Because here we see God using an entirely not God-fearing king and his empire to fund his temple rebuild. And friends, if God can use Cyrus for his purposes... God can use our government too. If God can say to Cyrus, let my people go and pay for everything they need, God can use our government too. For his purposes. To see his kingdom come. To see his kingdom advanced. Whether our, 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 our premiers and our prime ministers and our mayors and whatever, whether they're, they're followers of God or not. See, we have absolutely no record. And in fact, every historical record would say to the contrary, Cyrus didn't suddenly become a follower of God. Persia was not a Christian empire. But God used him. And God can use anything up to and including our government. But if it's the government or something else that God decides to use, know that as, impos as impossible as our view may be, God already has a plan. And God's plan is bigger than the miracle you think you need. There's just one more thing that God wants to speak to us today about the place we might find ourselves today. And so about everything we lost, see... I think what God is, is showing us through this, this, this story of Ezra chapter 1 is that God cares about our past, he cares about our present, and he cares about our future. We've talked about God caring about our future, that God, in 70 years I'm going to do this, and he's bringing the fulfillment of a promise to the future to fruition. And we see he cares about his present. Okay, so now that we're there, now what do we do? But God cares about our past, too. See, sometimes it's great to know that God is going to work. That God has a plan and he's going to show up in might and power. That's, it gives us faith, it gives us hope. As we think, yes, God is going to do something. But sometimes it's looking back. That's what really hurts. That we look back over our lives that we look back over the last 18 months of this global pandemic, we look at, back over the last five years of, of our lives, the last 10 years, whatever it may be, we look back and we can see all 
the things that we've lost. And we need to know that God sees that. We need to know that God knows about that. And as Ezra 1 comes to a close, we see that God doesn't just say, trust me with your future. But also, God says to Judah, and he says to us today, trust me with your past as well. See, God reminds the people, and he wants to remind us, he hasn't forgotten his words, and he hasn't forgotten his promises. And he sees, and he hasn't forgotten everything that we've lost. If we read in verse 7, it says this. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed them in the temple of his God. And if you read the next couple of verses, you get a very specific breakdown of just what and how many of each were taken from the temple that was destroyed and were going to be returned to the reestablishment of the temple. The last thing that I want to share with you from this prophetic picture from this first book of Ezra is that God sees and God knows what you've lost. The people didn't demand their stuff back. The people didn't come and say, "Hey Cyrus, that's great and all." but you stole some stuff from us. We need it back. King Cyrus went to the temple of the gods of King Nebuchadnezzar and began to take all the stuff out to return it back to the people of Judah. The people of Judah probably had no idea what was taken. As they're being taken into captivity, there's not an inventory going on. There's not somehow a master list of, of these are all the things we took. The people of Judah would have no idea what was missing. You don't give captives, you don't give slaves that kind of information. But God saw and God knew exactly what was lost. I know that I personally have felt a lot of loss over the last year and a half. I know that we have a church have, had, have, have lost a lot. And I know that many inside the church have lost a lot. But we see here that God remembered what was lost. And God made sure what was lost was returned. And that's the same thing that God has for you and for your life. God knows what you've lost. God sees what has been lost. And it's not just that God turns a blind eye to the past because, hey, I'm doing a new thing. It's not just that God says, don't worry about your past. Don't worry about all the pain and the heartache because I'm going to do something new and if all goes right, you'll just forget anyway. God knows and God sees what you've lost. And he cares. I don't know what God will do with everything you've lost. But we, what we can have hope for 
is that here in Ezra, we see that God knows and God sees everything that the enemy has tried to take from us. I believe that today God has a word of just pure hope for us today. That as we start on this new sermon series, God just wanted it to begin as a reminder to you about how he sees us and how he feels about us. How he sees our journey and everything we've gone through to get to today. His promises still stand. He is and will be faithful. Something is coming. And it doesn't matter how impossible it may seem. It doesn't matter how dark the sky may seem. Don't worry if it seems impossible. And God wants to let you know it's not just about the future. It's not just about looking forward. God sees and God knows what you've lost. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that as we go through the story of our lives, as we go through this journey of life that we go on, God, I thank you that you're not somehow distant, that you're not somehow far away, that you're not somehow unacquainted with us and our story and our lives. But God, I thank you that as we walk through this story of our lives. God, we know that in everything we face, in every trial, in every tribulation, in every decision, in every piece of our story, God, I thank you that you have a plan and a purpose, that you have a will for us in our lives. God, I thank you that every step along the way, God, we can live with the assurance that something is coming. To be afraid that somehow, well, what if God can't? What if God, what if it's impossible? What if it's too big? What if God can't? It doesn't seem possible. Too much time. I'm not enough. Whatever it may be, God, help us to not live in fear of the impossible. Your word will say, with God, or with, with man, things are impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. God, would you steer us, would you push us, would you drive us towards that kind of faith in our lives? That as we live our lives, as we are faced with, with the insurmountable or as we are faced with just the merely difficult, God, may we resonate in our hearts. Nothing is too difficult for thee. God, may we live, may we operate, may we have our faith come from this place of God, nothing is impossible. And God, I thank you that, that you don't turn a blind eye to everything we've gone through. And God, I pray for those here today that are wrestling with their past, that are wrestling with their loss, that are wrestling with everything that they've experienced that is informing their relationship with you now. God, I thank you that the promise we discover here is not just that you know that we've lost, but you specifically to the number of bowls and plates and what they're made of know exactly what it is that we've lost. And God, I thank you that, that nothing that we've lost, God, is only a loss. But that God, we place our hope and our trust and our belief in you and your love and your care for us, that God, in everything we've lost, that you will, you will do something with it. God, would you fill us with hope? Hope for our past, 
hope for our present and hope for our future. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Hillside Church. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Hillside Church, there are a couple places you can go. HillsideAirdrie.ca is our website, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HillsideAirdrie. You can also look us up on YouTube and find all of our messages on Apple Podcasts. If you would like to connect to the pastoral team at Hillside, you can do that through our website, hillsideairdry.ca, and click on About Us in the main menu, and then click on Our Pastors. We're so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Hillside Church, we are a family, not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. As family we go. Fair.